Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Uh, if you're visiting tonight, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study here at River of Life. Um, we are going uh, doing a short study through Matthew 4, 11 through 16. We are calling this the All Saints Ministry. And we call it that because we believe that every saint has a gift and every saint should be equipped so that we work properly and build the body up. In love. Now we've been in this uh, for about seven weeks, so tonight we come to lesson number eight, and this is the fifth and final gift that uh, Christ gave to the church, which is the gift of teachers or the gift of, of teaching. So let's read Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Uh, we'll just shorten it a little bit. It says, He gave the teachers uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, the word, we, we kind of done this every week. The, the Greek word uh, for teacher is didaskalos, and it's just a very generic Greek word, and it means an instructor. So it's really no different from teacher in English. Uh, it just means an instructor. You can teach carpentry. You can teach uh, theoretical physics. You can teach first grade, right? It's, it's, it just means an instructor. Now, of course, in the context of the New Testament, what is the teacher teaching? Uh, the teaching, the teacher is teaching the Word of God. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen says this: All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I'm going to kind of start this a little differently. I'm going to ask a question, but I'm not going to answer it till the end. And the first question that I'm going to ask is, do we need teachers? And the reason that I bring this up is over the years, I've often heard something like this. I've heard somebody say to me, well, I don't need a teacher. I've got the Holy Spirit. You ever heard that? I don't need any man to teach me. I've got the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will show me what it means. And so even though to some of us it may seem obvious that yes we need teachers, there are certainly people out there that would disagree and I'm going to I'm going to address this at the uh at the end. But so just keep that in the back of your mind and uh, and we'll come back to it. Now, let's just kind of look at a few things. First of all, is teaching a gift? Uh well certainly Ephesians 4:11 says that it's a gift and Paul also calls it a gift in other places as well. For example, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 to 31, he says, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, then teachers. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Those are rhetorical questions. The answer is no, they're not, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. So there again, he calls it a gift. He does the same thing in Romans 12, 6 and 7. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, and the one who teaches, in other words, if that's your gift, then make sure you use it. Do it in in uh, teaching. So how would we describe the gift of teaching? The gift of teaching is a God-given ability 
to properly understand and explain God's word to others. It's, it's just that simple. The teacher can understand the word, but then the teacher can turn around and communicate that word to other believers. Now, let me, let me tell you, it is a gift. Okay? Let's make sure we understand. It's a gift. That means it comes from God. You don't, you don't learn this. You can certainly develop it. When you have a gift, you can develop that gift and mature that gift and, and get better at that gift. But this is not something that you acquire. Uh, it's not something that somebody passes on to you. It is a gift that is given by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you, a, a person that has a natural ability to teach can teach just about anything, even the Bible. And I know because I've done it. Okay, so that's personal experience. I've taught the Bible without the gift of teaching. I know what it's like. So, so you take somebody that can, can, can teach, that's a natural communicator, uh, give them enough time to learn a subject, and they can teach just about anything. Um, and so uh, the Bible can be taught, and it is taught every day, uh, probably around the world, by people who don't necessarily have the gift of teaching. And I'll circle back to that a little bit at the end. But here's what you need to understand. When somebody has the gift of teaching, that changes everything. I mean, that is a difference maker, and I have experienced that. And if I have time at the end, uh, I'm going to share a little bit about uh, my own experience with you and and hopefully answer some questions about uh, the gift of of teaching. Uh, So what's so important about this gift? Well, the, the thing to know about this gift is this gift has always and always will be essential to the mission of the the church. It, it goes all the way back to Jesus. If you go and, and just open up the New Testament, start with Matthew, read through the Gospels and then through the epistles and on, uh, you're going to find out very first that Jesus, who we call our, our master teacher, our chief teacher, uh, teaching was a primary focus of his uh, ministry. Look at, for example, Matthew 11.1. 1. It says, when Jesus had finished instructing by the word teaching, his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, some of you may look at a verse like that and wonder, well, what's the difference? What's the real difference between somebody teaching and somebody uh, preaching? What's what's the difference between those two things? Well, let let me give you a great example of Jesus' teaching, Luke 24, 27. It says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... Talking about Jesus, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Now, that's teaching. That's teaching. When you sit down and you explain the scripture, that's teaching. Preaching is different. See, I can proclaim, teaching, preaching is proclaiming, teaching is explaining. So let's say I come to you and I want to preach the gospel. I can say to you that, that we, we're all sinners, right? Uh, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We are all enemies of God, but He has made a way that we can be reconciled to Him by sending His Son in the flesh to die on the cross to bear our sins on that tree. He rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven to prove who He was. And if we'll just put our faith in Him, we can have eternal life and never perish. That's preaching the gospel. Explaining the gospel sits down and says, okay, this is why Jesus had to die. This is why it had to be a blood sacrifice. This is why, are you with me? That's the difference. You can preach it 
and then you can explain it. That's the difference between preaching and, and teaching. And Jesus, that was a huge part of his ministry. When he left, this is what he told the apostles and his disciples in the Great Commission. He said this, Go there, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So he said, hey, I'm about to leave. But this is what I want you to do, and you go teach. Teach what I've told you. Teach the things that I've commanded you. And by the way, that's exactly what they did. Acts chapter 5, 32. By the way, let me just point this out. This is after the Holy Spirit has fallen on the day of Pentecost. This is after the Holy Spirit has come. It says, in every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, they did exactly what he said. They went and they preached and they, they, they taught. The apostle Paul did this. Acts 18, 11, it says, and he, Paul, stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God. In Paul's own words, Acts 20, 20, he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house. The, you see, you go back and look at the early church and it's, it's obvious that this ongoing teaching was essential uh, to in, in the church. And then the apostles would turn around and pass that on to future leaders. For example, Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy 4. Command and teach these things until I come. Devote yourself to teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. He wrote in his letter to Titus, verse 1, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he told them, look, when you appoint elders in every church, make sure the elders can can teach. So they, in turn, pass the responsibility on to the next set of leaders. For example, Titus 1, 5 through 9, Paul says, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. For an overseer, which is just another word for elder, as God's steward, must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Elders must be able to teach sound doctrine. In 1 Timothy 3, 2, he tells Timothy, Therefore, an overseer or an elder must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. So, so you can see it was, it was just, everybody just passed it down, passed it down in every church you were to have teachers. Now, what is the purpose of teaching? Well, I'm going to take this right out of scripture for you. Okay. I'm going to give you four things out of scripture. Number one is to help people live a life of faith in God. First Timothy one, three through four in the New Living Translation, Paul says this, when I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculation, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. So, so teaching that's contrary to the truth doesn't help people live a life of faith. Therefore, teaching that accords with truth helps people live a life of faith in God. Number two... It creates in us love, a pure heart, clear conscience, and faith. First Timothy 1, 5. The goal of our instruction, the goal of our teaching, is the love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. The third thing it does is it creates maturity in Christ. Colossians 1, 28. 
Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So this is, it's like a, a baby starts out with milk and then they move to the kind of that mushy food that they eat and then they move to solid food and they're growing and maturing. This is exactly what teaching is. You're feeding on the Word of God. You feed on the Word of God. You feed on sound doctrine and you grow in Christ. The last thing it does is it helps fulfill the mission of the church. You know what the mission of the church is according to Paul? 1 Timothy 3.15, he calls the church of the living God a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Everybody knows what a pillar is, right? A pillar holds up a, a roof, right? A buttress is a, it's a slant thing that holds up a wall. So what he's saying, the church is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Our job is to hold up the truth. To keep the truth pure. Listen, in this whole world, it's full of, you know, the Bible says that Satan is the God of this world. And he is the father of lies. This world is full of lies. It's our job as the church to hold up the truth. To put on display the truth. To keep the truth in front of everybody, no matter what it costs. That's, that's the mission of the church. And, and teaching is integral to this. Listen, without teaching the church would fall into error and sin just like that. Without solid, good, sound teaching, the church would fall into error and sin. Teachers are here to make sure that does not happen. That is their job. Now, another thing about teaching, and I want to make sure we understand this, that teaching is not just about knowledge. It's not just about knowing your subject. In John 3.10, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, and he says to him, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? In other words, how can that be? How can you be a teacher and you don't understand your subject? You see, that should go without saying that anybody that teaches math should know math. Anybody that teaches physics should know physics. Anybody that teaches the Word of God should know the Word of God. Again, that, 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 that we should, that teachers should know their subject well should go without Saying, but here's what I want you to see. Just knowing scripture well does not make you a teacher. Okay? Just having a great knowledge, a skillful knowledge of the word of God does not mean you have the gift of teaching. What sets the teaching, a teacher apart is the ability to communicate that word to other people. Listen, I've, I've had professors in college that knew their subject is better than anybody ever seen, and they were horrible teachers. Horrible teachers. I'll never forget, uh, I was in, uh, I took calculus in, in college, and I had a teacher. His name was Mr. Glenn. He's, de- he's dead now. But I had had teachers before, but I'd never had a teacher like this guy. And I sat down, and, all, and he blew my mind with the way he taught. I'd never seen anybody. He knew, he didn't just know his subject. He was able to take something very hard like calculus and break it down so somebody like me could understand it. And I copied what he did. When I went on later and taught some classes at TCC uh, in in math classes, I I would copy the way he did it. I, I, I was so admired the way that he could communicate. Listen, I, I ran across this. I thought this was a real good definition. The most effective teacher is the one who can teach more than average knowledge with more than average simplicity. I really like that. Take, take, you can have all this knowledge in the world, but if you can't turn around and put it out there for people to understand, what's the point? 
So that's, that's one of the ways you can recognize the gift of teaching. Somebody that's got a skilled knowledge of their subject, but then they can turn around and, uh, and help you understand that in a way that, that other people just uh, cannot. Let me tell you, the gift comes with a very heavy responsibility. Uh, as far as I know, it is the only gift that comes with a warning. James 3.1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So James is issuing a warning for people who want to be teachers. He says, you stop, think about what you're doing, because at the end you will be judged more stricter than other people. Now the question is, why? Why are teachers judged with greater strictness? Well, in one sense, you got to remember that a teacher is just like any other believer. We're all responsible for the words that come out of our mouth. You guys understand that, right? We are all as believers, and teachers just have a lot more words coming out of their mouth, right? So in one sense, they're just like anybody else. Matthew 12, 36 to 37, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. So, so just the words that I'm speaking... I'm going to give account of, of those. But teachers have a greater responsibility because they are called to be stewards of the Word of God. That's the real reason. Luke 12, 48 says this, Everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. So you are given a gift. You are called to be a steward of the Word of God. And He's going to require you to be accountable for what you, what you were were given. You see, think about this. Teachers are not only entrusted in, in, in with the task of communicating what the Bible says, they have to figure out what it means, and then they have to tell you how to apply it to your life. So if you, you know, one day you may stand before God and He may say, you know, that wasn't right, and you point back the line and said, yeah, but He told me I could do it. Right? <laughs> he said I could do it. Folks, listen, you don't want to get that wrong. Are you with me? I don't want to get that wrong. That is a huge responsibility to, to get up here and do your uh, do your best. Let me give you a few characteristics of those with the gift of teaching. Now, I want to say this. How many of y'all have ever been out to a website and done a spiritual gifts test? Okay, there's a probably twenty percent of you. If you go out to the internet, there's these there's these. Uh, Places you can go and, and you can do a spiritual gifts test and try to figure out what your spiritual gift is. Now listen, I don't have any problem with that, but let me just say spiritual gifts have been around for 2,000 years and the internet's been around for the blink of an eye, okay? Um, I, I, I don't have any problem with it, but if I really want to know uh, the characteristics, I just look in the Bible because the Bible tells me everything I want to know about the spiritual gift of, of whatever, it, whatever it may be. If you'll just get in there and dig it out, it's all in there. So what I want to do is, is, again, I don't have any problem with these, but I want to give you characteristics of a teacher directly from uh, the Word of God. The first thing that it seems to take to have the gift of teaching is it takes time, it takes maturity, and it takes being skilled in the Word. Okay? I don't see any bypass here. Listen to what Paul, the writer of Hebrews says, chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. He's writing and he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, he's saying enough you were saved and you were given the milk of the word and enough time has gone by that by now 
you should have enough skill in the word that you should be teachers. Yet he says you need somebody to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. See, I just don't see any way around it. There, there's some time that has to be put in. There's some maturity that has to happen. There's some, there's a, there's a certain skill in the word. What I'm saying is I just don't, you, God's not just going to take a new Christian and say, boom, you got it. And all of a sudden they're skilled in the word and they've got, are you with me? That just don't happen. It takes some time. And, uh, and so it's, it's imperative upon us, especially if you want to be a teacher, to make sure you put in the time, put in the effort, put in to make sure that you're skilled in the Word of God. I just don't see any way uh, to bypass that. Another characteristics of teachers is they're teachable. You know how you get skilled in the Word? Because somebody taught you. You don't sit back and say, well, you don't need to tell me nothing. No, you, teachers are, some of the most teachable people I've ever met are teachers. They always want to learn. Second Timothy 2, 2, uh, Paul says this, What you have heard from me, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. So he's, we already saw where he was telling Timothy to teach. What is Timothy going to teach? He's going to teach what Paul taught him. So he's teachable. There's a great story in Acts 18 about a man named Apollos. I'll read it to you. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And he was a learned man, he was educated, with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. And he taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he knew the gospel. He knew about Jesus. He didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He didn't know about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So he had a place in his ministry, a place in his knowledge that was lacking. And it says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home, and they explained to him the way of God more adequately. And what I love about Apollos is he didn't say, who are you? Who are you to teach me? No. And so he he evidently just, he, he got it right. He said, thank you. And it says, when he wanted to go to Achaia, which is a, 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 the province of Corinth, the brothers and sisters encouraged him, and they even wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. See, he had no problem being corrected. He was teachable. We read this a while ago, Titus 1, 5 through 9, for an overseer or an elder as God's steward, must hold firm to the trustworthy word they were taught so that they can turn around and give sound instruction. Teachers are teachable. Another thing about teachers is they are, they are faithful. They are faithful. Uh, look what Second Timothy 2.2, 2, we've read this. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will then turn around and be able to teach also. So he's telling Timothy, when you decide to, to, to entrust this, entrust it to faithful men, men who have shown themselves uh, faithful. All right, buckle your seatbelt. Three things it talks about our teaching to be. We are to teach with integrity, we are to teach with dignity, and we are to teach with sound speech, okay? 
Here's the first one. Let's, let's read two, Titus 2, 7 and 8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that opponents may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Now, what do those three words mean? Integrity, dignity, and sound speech. Well, integrity means uncorrupted. It means pure. The, the, the idea here is don't add anything to it. You've got the pure, unadulterated, clean Word of God. Don't go out and bring in opinions and ideas and things that would muddy the water. Everybody with me? That's, that's just what he's saying. Just teach the Word. Just teach the Word. So don't add anything to it. Don't corrupt it. The opposite of that is sound speech. You know how we say we're of sound mind and body? The idea is everything's working right. We're not missing anything. So when we say sound speech, it means healthy, whole, complete. In other words, don't leave anything out. Don't add add anything to the Word of God, but don't skip anything either. Don't skip it just because it's controversial. Just skip it because you don't like it. Don't skip it just because it don't fit what your culture thinks. Teach the whole Word of God. Now, here's the third one. Dignity. You know what dignity means? It means gravity, seriousness. It means when you teach, don't act the fool. Okay? That, I took a picture off the internet, and this video is out there if you want to see it. Super Bowl Sunday, some church, I think it's in Ohio, they all the, they all get their jerseys on, and for some reason, and I have looked and looked to try to find out the point of this, but for some reason, they kick the Bible off the stage. You, I mean, you can go find it. It's just, it's, I don't know what the point was. Folks, listen, that's not dignity. That's not dignity. That's not gravity. That's, that's, listen, w- when you have to, when you have to resort to props, when you have to resort to things like that, it tells me one of two things. Number one, you don't know your subject. You don't know your subject. You're not comfortable with the Word of God. You're not comfortable with just standing in front of a group of people and just teaching the Word of God. And so you prop it up. You, you, you do crazy things, silly things. You do things like this. You base your Bible study on Taylor Swift lyrics. Silliness. So it tells me either you don't really know your, your subject or it tells me you just have such a low view of God's Word that you don't trust the Word to be the Word. You don't trust the Word to have the power to change men and women's lives. You think, I got to somehow, you know, I got to entertain these people. Listen, Paul said, when you teach, teach with dignity. Gravity, seriousness, let the Word of God do what the Word of God does. You ain't got to prop it up. You ain't got to excuse it. You ain't got to add anything to it. You don't have to skip anything. Just teach it. And that's what somebody with the gift of teaching will always do. That's not the gift of teaching. That's not the gift of teaching. The the other thing that that a teacher will always have is humility. If you have the gift of teaching, you will have it in a humble way. In Matthew 23, I'll read this, verses 2 through 8. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees, this is Jesus talking, they love the place of honor at feast, and they love the best seats in the synagogues, and they love being greeted in the marketplace and being called rabbi, which means teacher. They love it, man. 
But he looks at his disciples and he says this, but you are not to be called rabbi or teacher. Don't let anybody call you teacher for you got one teacher and you are all brothers. So, so, so Jesus, what he's saying, he gives them two reasons. He says, don't let anybody call you teacher. And he gives them two reasons. Number one reason, he says, you only got one teacher. In other words, that's me. I'm the teacher. You see, rabbis, what you got to understand about rabbis in those days, they didn't just teach the word of God. They added their own rules and their own regulations and their own interpretations. You can go today and you can see these books after books after books of what they call the Talmud. And it's all the writings of, so you've got scripture, you've got the Pentateuch, you've got the, the Torah, and then over here, you've got all the writings of the rabbis where they've added their own interpretations to Scripture and their own rules and regulations. See, Jesus said, you don't have to do that. You just teach what I told you. In other words, nobody should run around saying, well, teacher Derek said, or teacher Henry said, or teacher Bob said. No, we run around saying, Jesus said, or the Word says. Because all a, all the teacher does is just regenerate what the scripture says. So you should never ever point to, well, that guy says this, or that guy, no. No, Jesus said, just teach them what I told you and stick to that. And somebody with the gift of teaching will always do that. Second reason Jesus says, don't let anybody call you teachers, he says, because you're brothers and sisters. In other words, you should never take on a title that somehow elevates you above another believer. Don't do that. Don't do that. You are to be humble. After all, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it's a gift. What do you have that you didn't receive? What do you have that you did not receive? If you got the ability to communicate and you were born with that, guess who that came from? That came from him. And if you've been given a gift later on in life to use that for his glory, guess who that came from? From him. You didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. You didn't, you didn't conjure it up. You, you didn't do anything. So don't boast like you did. Stay, uh, stay humble. The last thing, and I want to, I'm going to drive this one home. Anybody with the gift of teaching is still fallible. They're just a sinful man or a sinful woman. Listen, I don't understand this. And I've often said this. I don't know if I read this years ago, and um, but God has ordained that fallible men teach an infallible word. Or God has ordained that imperfect men teach a perfect word. Now, I don't understand that. I don't understand why he did that, but he did. You've seen all the scriptures, teach, teach, teach. That's, that's his plan. That's how he designed it. Look, listen to what 2 Timothy 2.15 says. He tells Timothy, do your best, Timothy. I love that. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So he looks at Timothy, who's going to be a teacher, and he says, do your best to handle the word of truth. In other words, listen, no teacher is perfect. No teacher is, is perfect. Do your best. This is why, listen to me, River of Life, I don't care if you recognize that somebody has a gift of teaching, their teaching always has to be tested against the Word of God. 
I don't care who you follow. You like John MacArthur. You like David Jeremiah. You like John Piper. You like D.A. Carson. You like Vody Bauckham. They're just men. They're just men. Their word is not the word of God. You have to test what they say. I don't care who it is up in a pulpit. You test what they say against the word. In Acts 17.11, there's a, a real famous scripture. We all know this one. Paul has been in Thessalonica, and when he's there, he starts preaching, and they get so mad, they try to kill him. They, they, there's a riot in town, and they literally have to get Paul out of there before they kill him. And he comes down south to a town called Berea, and he does the exact same thing. He just goes out there and starts preaching. But watch what it says about these people. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Because they received the word with all eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Let me tell you something. God has no problem with you examining the scriptures to see if what I say is true. He has no problem with that. In fact, he expects you to do it. That is a noble thing to do. So be careful, right? I had somebody walk up to me uh, the other day and, and just said, man, I want, I want you to know how much I trust you. And, and I understand that. <laughs> okay. I get it. And, and I understand we have to trust people to some extent, right? Or we'd never listen to anybody. But you don't ever trust a man implicitly. You trust the Word of God. You trust the Word of God. Always go back to the Word of God. Now, I promised I would answer the question, do we need teachers? Do we need teachers? Again, I've seen quotes like this. I don't need to sit under a teacher. I just ask the Holy Spirit to guide my reading and comprehension. Or I don't need a teacher because the Holy Spirit will teach me everything that I need to know. I've heard stuff like that. So here's a couple things. First of all, I don't know how anybody could say that that actually reads the Bible. Okay, I've already shown you how Jesus passed it on to the apostles. By the way, the apostles taught after the Holy Spirit had come. The apostles passed it on it to men, to men like Titus and Timothy. Titus and Timothy passed it on to the elders. That responsibility gets passed down. That's obvious. I, I, just about every letter in the New Testament assumes that spirit-led Christians need teaching. I mean, I just quoted from Ephesians, Timothy, Titus, Colossians, Corinthians, Romans, Hebrews, James, and Peter. Every single one of them just assumes that spirit-led Christians, spirit-filled Christians need teaching. Okay, that, I mean, scripture after scripture after scripture. So where does someone get the idea from that they don't need teachers? Well, they get it from this scripture right here. First John 2.27. He says this, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. How many words? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's nine words. You have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, granted, it does say that, doesn't it? And if you take those nine words, pop them out of that letter and put them up, you can say, see, see, I don't need anybody to teach me. It says it right there. Now, by the way, that statement is dripping with irony for several reasons. Number one, John himself is teaching. In his letter, he's actually teaching so how, why would somebody that's teaching turn around and say you don't need teaching? That makes no sense. But here's the thing. Here's the really ironic thing. 
The very fact that they take that verse out of context is actually showing they need a teacher because they're interpreting it completely wrong. Okay, so I want to show you what it means. And, and, and John is not telling us to get rid of all teachers. In fact, if he did, his own teaching would be a waste of time and it would put him in conflict with the other apostles. That's not what he's saying. So what is he saying? Well, what you have to understand, and of course you have to look at context. I pre, I teach that all the time, right? Context, context, context. You cannot lift things out of their context. So what is he saying? What you have to understand about John is he's dealing with something called Gnosticism. He, he's writing to an audience that has been absolutely plagued, a community that has been plagued by false teachers. And these men were, uh, were what were called Gnostics. Now, if you know anything about Gnostics, what Gnostics say is that they have special insight. They have secret knowledge that you don't have. So these men are coming into the church and they're saying, hey, I know the scripture says this, but God told me this. I've got a special anointing. I've got special insight. I've got, by the way, if you think this has gone away, go to YouTube. I went to heaven and God told me. I went to heaven and God showed me. See, I know something you don't know. Click, click, click. You know, click, look what I know. Man, that's Gnosticism. That's just Gnosticism. That's what he was dealing with. And they came in and they taught things like that Christ didn't really come in the flesh. They taught things like sin, sinless perfection is possible in this life. They taught things like, uh, they, they said, well, you know, what really matters is the spirit. The flesh doesn't matter. So what they taught was you can know God, but you don't have to obey any of those you don't have to obey anything. You don't got to walk, you know, you don't have to walk in holiness. It doesn't matter. The flesh doesn't matter. Those are just three of the errors. They taught others as well. And what they had done is they had divided that community into the haves and the have-nots. The haves were the people over here who said, we've got special knowledge. We've got a special anointing. God tells us things that he don't tell y'all. And then on the other side, you got the have-nots, just normal people like me and you. We didn't have, you know, and so it, it had caused a lot of problems. In fact, because of these false teachers, a lot of professing Christians had fallen away from the faith. They had been deceived and, and basically shipwrecked and left their faith. Okay. This is who Paul, uh, John is writing to. Okay. Now watch what he says. Let's back up to verse 19 and I'll watch what he says. And I'm going to read it out of the NLT because it's a little bit easier to understand. He says, these people left. Now, remember, he's talking about believers who said they were believers, and they they bought into all this false teaching, and it just destroyed their lives, and they left. They fell away. This is what he says. He says, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. And when they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. Now, watch what he says, but you're not like that. You're different. In other words, what he's going to about to say is they left because they didn't, they, you've got something they didn't have. Well, what is this thing that you have? We'll look at verses 20 and 21. You're not like that for the Holy One has given you his spirit and you know the truth. I'm writing to you because, not because you don't know the truth. I'm writing to you because you know the difference between a truth and a lie. See what he's saying? They left because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And they were deceived, but you got the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit teaches you what's true and what's a lie, what's right and what's wrong. You got something they didn't have. That's why they fell away. So he's telling them the difference between you and them is the Holy Spirit. And the fact that he lives in you gives you an understanding that those people did not have. Okay? Watch what he says in verse 24. So you must remain faithful to what, read it with me, you have been taught. Just remain faithful to the word, to the gospel that you heard from the beginning. All those people trying to bring in all that outside stuff, just just stick to what you heard from the beginning. If you do, you'll remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father, and this fellowship will, we enjoy, and in this fellowship we enjoy the eternal life He promised us. You see, this is what deceivers will always do, false teachers. They'll try to add to the teaching. They'll try to change the teaching. They'll try to reinterpret the teaching. He's saying, don't let them, don't let them do that. Now, here's verse 26. He says, I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. So who's he warning them about? False teachers. But you've received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you, and you don't need anybody to teach you what's true. You don't need a man or a woman to teach you what's true. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You see, what he's saying to them is you never rely on a teacher to tell you something's true. The teacher just gets up here and just teaches the Word of God. And the Spirit within you says, yes, amen. That's The Spirit validates that in you. Don't ever allow a man to come in, especially if they bring in something that's not in the Word of God and say, I've got some kind of special insight. I've got some kind of special anointing. I've got some kind of... Don't ever let that happen. That's what he's telling them. A teacher's job is to teach Scripture. The Spirit's job is to confirm in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, what is true and what is a lie. You don't, don't ever let men become the arbiter of what's true. That's the Holy Spirit's job, Okay. Now, next week, we're going to turn uh, to the rest of the verse, verses uh, 12 through 16, uh, equipping the saints. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of teaching. And, uh, Father, uh, we just uh, we pray, as, I've, as, as I have this week, and then we continue to pray, God, that you raise up teachers at River of Life. Uh, God, we pray, raise up teachers for our young children. We pray, raise up teachers for our middle schools and for our high schoolers, for the men, for the women, for, for, for whatever we need it. God, raise up the gift of teaching. I've got so many faithful people. We got so many mature people in this, in this fellowship. Lord, would you give us that gift? Would you give us that gift and revolutionize River of Life, especially in this dark time to keep us where we need to go in Jesus name? Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.